You're listening to Radio Influence. This is the place that the UFC and Bellator come to for the inside scoop of what's going on in the world of mixed martial arts. The doors of the gym are opened up just for you. We are the MMA Insiders. Here are your hosts, Jason Floyd of the MMA Report and the president of Combat Sports Media, Sam Kaplan. Coming up on this episode of the MMA Insiders Podcast, myself and Sam Kaplan are going to talk about Floyd Mayweather, Conor McGregor. The world tour is over. The fight is just weeks away. We're going to talk about every aspect of that. Plus, we'll get into Brock Lesnar. Entering the USADA testing pool, the real uh, sports piece that came out this week on HBO involving MMA, plus so many other things to get into here on this episode of the podcast. Of course, we are brought to you by Fight TV. Enjoy live wrestling, MMA, and boxing on the screen of your choice with just the Fight app. You can download the Fight app today for free by going to Fight FITE.TV forward slash Radio Influence forward slash. Once again, that is Fight FITE.TV forward slash radio influence forward slash sam how's it going man doing well jason you know and going through our pre-show routine and building the format for the show looking at the rundown i was like man this is going to be a two two and a half hour show hopefully it doesn't last that long but based on the material that we have to go over today lots of stuff to talk about yeah, there, there's a lot of interesting things going on in, in the world of MMA. I, I guess we always say that every every time we do a show together, there's so many interesting aspects of it. I'll tell you, you know, obviously Floyd Mayweather, Conor McGregor, it's the biggest news story in combat sports, and, and it's going to be that, uh, you know, for the next several weeks until we get to August 26, when those two guys will step into the ring there at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. I was, you know, when the ticket prices came out, I was kind of surprised that. Uh, the cheap tickets, five hundred bucks. What you thought it would be more? I thought it'd be at least a thousand. Uh, you know, I think they're. I guess they're banking on making so much on pay per view. I think probably their goal is to fill it up. I think maybe if there was a longer lead time, leading up to the fight. I mean, even though both fighters knew it was probably going to happen and they'd been preparing for this much, uh, you know, further out than from when it was announced. You still have to give the ticket buyer, especially in a place like Vegas, which is an international city, you need to give them typically more than 60 to you know 80 days to, to prep for an event like this. This was announced – it wasn't announced all that long ago, and it's going to be happening you know, next month. It's right around the corner. So I think the $500 ticket price is indicative of the fact that there wasn't a big lead time built up after the official fight announcement. Had there been a longer lead time – Definitely think they could have gotten away with charging more. What was your take on the world tour? I, I thought it went on for two cities too long because both these guys ran out of material. What you have to understand, though, is when they've done these world tours for boxing, they do more than four stops. So, you know, I think with, you know, an ideal, you know, lead time, had this fight been announced earlier, they probably would have tried to do even more cities. So, yes, you are correct, though. Four cities seem to be a little too much. I think Connor had to adjust to this format. Mm -hmm. Typically, when he when he talks, it's more of a I guess a moderated style format where Dana is at the dais. You know, there's reporters asking questions. He kind of had to freestyle, and I think he kind of took a, it took him off guard for the first one in L.A. I think you know the he did pretty well in uh, Toronto, and then also in 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 London. 
that Toronto press conference was just, it was awful though. It was absolutely awful. But it's crazy that the hype behind this fight is so much. This fight is so big and it's so surreal. We're actually scoring the trash talk. I don't know yeah. of any fight with regards to MMA and you know and what from what I've followed from boxing. I don't think we've scored trash talk. This is this is a a new level, but I enjoyed every minute of it. I you know it was it was a a lot of fun to watch. It was so unique and so different. It, it was pretty cool. And yeah, they've done these press conferences for boxing, but this was a whole different level. I would tell you last Wednesday I was at the U.S. soccer match here in, in Tampa when they were playing in the Gold Cup, and we were sitting in the, in the parking lot tailgating before the u.s match started and sam you know we we had uh the youtube link on our phone we, we were watching the toronto uh stop there and uh and then of course i watched the brooklyn stop and the london stop in my office and i watched it on fs2 and as someone who's been broadcasting for you know over 15 years i could not believe they did not censor that broadcast I mean, I'm sitting I here could, like, like two, o'clock, two o'clock in the afternoon, and it is f bomb after f bomb, and it, it's just as as someone who understands FCC regulations because you know you had to go through that stuff and know the rules when you're you know working for a broadcast company. I, I couldn't believe it. The thing that I couldn't believe a day after each press conference, just about everywhere I went people were talking about the press conference. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you experienced the same thing, oh, yeah. but you know, when I went to the gym, when I went to the store, you know, everywhere I went there, there were guys, you know, talking about it. A couple guys had their phones out. They were showing someone else. So this is, this is pretty crazy. Yeah. It's You know, and that's where like, you know, the note came out, I don't know, the last week or so where apparently may uh, McGregor's people are, are when they're reaching out to potential, you know, sponsors to, to get their logo on, on Connor's trunks for this or, saying they believe it's going to sell 7 million pay-per-views. I mean, I think that's a oof, that's high expectations. I I think that I think the number's probably more in the in the 5 million range. I think it's going to sell more than the Mayweather Pacquiao pay-per-view did. That that did what? 4.2? I forget. I think it wasn't four, I believe it was 4.6. Okay. But I I think I would be I would be relatively surprised it, be, it because of the way these two guys know how to promote a fight, the fact of I mean, when, May- when Mayweather and Pacquiao fought, I mean, I think that we had like four, there was only like four weeks from the time that fight was announced to when it happened, so there really wasn't much time, and obviously Pacquiao's not going to, to be kind of like a Conor McGregor, and I just think that it's, you know, five million I think is going to be a good number. It's, you know, in, in, the, in August, end of August, where, from a sports aspect, the really the only thing going on is MLB baseball, and you know you have the preseason of the National Football League, but there's nothing really else going on in sports. So I think that it's a lot of you know there's going to be a lot of interest in this. I think there's going to be a lot of people looking to go out on that night. Uh, I know as we're recording this here on on Wednesday, July the nineteenth, the commercial pay per view price is being you know told to bars what it is, and you know, it's essentially what it was for Mayweather. And Pacquiao, I mean, you know, look, every bar and restaurant that shows this, I don't see how they don't charge a cover charge. I think you're going to, anywhere you go, it's going to be $20. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's bars charging $25 or $30 a head to just simply, you know, try to to make back their money because, it's you know, you can't, you can't air this pay-per-view and not do a cover and think that you're going to make money on that night because, 
you're just not going to have enough people come in and, and drink and eat enough to to offset that cost. You made a great point about the timing. The fact that it's at the end of August, football hasn't started yet. I think maybe college football starts that weekend. I don't even know. It's a week after. Okay. But the only thing that's really going right you know, at that point is baseball. And baseball is nowhere near as popular as it once was, especially not with the younger audience. So not only have they picked a great date to hold the actual pay-per-view, but this lead-up is taking place during a dead time in sports talk radio. I can't tell you how many stations I listened to the day after these press conferences, hosts that would never dare to think and talk about MMA. They're talking about McGregor Mayweather like they've seen every fight of each fighter. Oh, yeah. When they've ne- it's, so I think that they're going to own a lot of sports talk stations. They're going to own a lot of airtime on ESPN. They're going to get a lot of free promotion mm-hmm. from the sports media because this is a dead time for, for sports. Hockey's not going, basketball's not going, football's not going, and baseball is not what it once was. So they're going to own the airwaves, especially leading up. The two weeks leading up, I think it's going to be crazy. And I can say this from a web analytic aspect. You put anything, Floyd Mayweather, Conor McGregor right now, it's it's going to get web hits, whether you're a high-traffic website or, or you're a small-traffic website. it's Even it's, our show, Jason, the, the last show that we did. Yeah, they had a lot of downloads, and and I, and I think that you know a good reason for that was because of of Connor and Floyd. You know, it's you know one of the things and you kind of mentioned about you know how it took Connor a, a stop to kind of figure out what exactly was going on, and you know Stephen Espinoza was critical of Dana White's comments. You know, from a media's aspect, you you much rather have the way the UFC holds a press conference as opposed to a world tour because it gives you. Much more ability is to be able to to file stories. You know, those world tours, I looked at and said, if you're just a print writer, you might as well just sit at home because right. there's no reason to go to these things. I mean, there there are the, there were the scrums before and after, but there's probably so many media members there. It might have been tough, you know, if you're not a big name journalist with a big name, you know, outfit to get those those one on ones because there's only so much time that they're going to spend talking to, to media after those uh, press conferences are over because they've got to get to the next city. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty much hit or miss. But it's 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 interesting that, you know, Espinoza responded to Dana in the way that he did. And the comments that I'm talking about, you know, Dana was critical of how they did the press conference, some of the production elements, issues with the microphone. And, you know, Espinoza, his point was that, you know, Dana's used to a different promotional style where Dana White is the focal point and not the fighter. And Espinosa pointed out, whereas we're the way we do things, the fighter is the focal point. And, you know, I thought he was very matter of fact about it. I don't think he was trying to be overly critical of Dana. He was asked a question and gave a straightforward answer. And I've got to agree with him. I, I really think, you know, I know Jason, I guess, you know, as a media member, you might prefer the structured environment that the UFC employs when they host their press conferences. But if a guy has a personality, if a guy is like Connor and he's going to put himself out there and talk and he's going to respond and he, you know, to, to his opponent, you know, I, I much rather let that guy just go but, but and, and not, not try to rein him in, which is what the UFC, I think, they do with a lot of their fighters. But this thing, the UFC has, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but they have changed the way they do press conferences. You know, I mean, now you really don't get the pre-fight press conferences anymore 
where it's now it's just media day where you know it's you know fighters you know at you know a certain spot media comes up to him i mean look go find me how many times dana white's talking to the media in a press conference in 2017 i bet it's a outside of this mayweather mcgregor and in, in talking to ufc media partners i bet it's a handful of times yeah, but imagine someone like Kevin Lee just being given free reign. You know, a guy like Kevin Lee, as outspoken as he is, mm-hmm. I think with the format that Showtime traditionally uses for the way it promotes its fighters, I think a guy like Kevin Lee would be maybe five times bigger than he is right now. I mean, look, I think Kevin Lee has done a good job of promoting himself. I mean, I, I think the UFC, I mean, I think they should listen to what Steven Espinosa says. I mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't totally agree with what he says, but I, I think he makes valid points. That might have been one of the few times during this tour where I felt Steven Espinosa represented himself well. Did you see the comment or did you hear the comments where I guess Connor was taking digs at him and it might have been Ariel Hawani uh, interviewing him. And Espinosa says, yeah, I'm starting to lose patience. Yes, I did see that. And, and I just I scratched my head. I'm like, what does that mean? What, what are you, you going to cancel the fight? Or if Connor does it again? You're gonna stand, you know. You're gonna get in his face. What, what, what are you gonna do? And Connor made that point. He goes, "What are you gonna do?" He, it's funny. He said it the next day. And by Espinosa even doing that interview, obviously Connor either Connor saw it or got word about it because the next press conference he went right at Espinosa twice as hard as he had the press conference prior, and it just looked goofy because with each passing press conference, Espinosa put him more, put himself more and more in the forefront. So, you know. And why even take it personally at that point? Anyone that was aligned with Team Mayweather that was on the stage, Connor went after. They were fair game. They were an open target. And you had to have known that that was going to happen. I mean, Connor even went after the bodyguards. So if you don't want to be in the crossfire, then don't go on stage. And Steven Espinosa just said, you know what, I'm taking a really big backseat here. I'm not even going up on stage. The odds of Connor even mentioning the name Steven Espinosa would have been really low. But instead, you know, he he was doing interviews and he put himself up on stage and he made himself a target and he was fair game at that point. So for him to start saying, I'm losing patience, that was a re- kind of a ridiculous statement to say, especially towards a fighter. What are you going to do about it at the end of the day? But if you want to be critical about how boxing press conferences happen, and it happens in this one. No one wants to hear from Steven Espinoza. No one wants to hear from the head of MGM Sports and, and you know for T-Mobile Arena. I mean, that was one of those things. I'm like, why are you in that type of situation, especially when you're in an arena with 11,000 people, why are you even putting those guys in that situation? It's a no-win situation. I don't, I don't think it was that big of a deal. They would spoke for maybe about 30 to 60 seconds, and they got done, and the fighters went. With the UFC press conferences, everything goes – back and forth between Dana. Dana is interjecting himself at multiple points in the press conference, and it just breaks up the rhythm and the flow and takes away from the tension to the fighters. And then you end up reading media reports about the press conference, and you know most of it is what Dana White said as opposed to what the but, fighters said. But, Sam, put yourself in my shoes as a reporter. Who We know we're going to get the best quote out of Dana White. Dana White, anything he says is automatically going to get us web traffic. That At the end of the day, that's, that's the world we live in now where everything is about what is going to get you the most clicks. We're all looking for 
some type of unique original content to our website that is going to draw people to come in. And unfortunately, let's just be honest about it, a lot of the times these press conference situations, fighters just don't say anything that is going to create people to come to your website. But the media doesn't make pay-per-views profitable. It's the fans buying pay-per-views mm-hmm. in mass, which makes the pay-per-view such a lucrative business. And by the media focusing so much on Dana White, and I understand why they do it, because he's putting himself out there, and typically he's the most outspoken person during the press conference, but he's made himself the biggest star. But he is it, the biggest star in the UFC. How can the UFC grow if they're not making new stars, which they're not doing a very good job of? And we see the issues they're having from a pay-per-view perspective, and it's a and, and the... the, the their promotional style, Dana's promotional style, in which he is the focal point, which is in which he is the biggest star of the promotion. That's why the pay-per-view numbers are down. That's well, I shouldn't say that is the reason. It's one of the biggest reasons why pay-per-view numbers are down because Dana White. No one tunes in and buys a pay-per-view to see no. Dana White. They you know, buy to see the fighters. Look, as someone who works for a sports bar in terms of marketing, I can tell you the UFC knows they have a major problem in stars. I, you know, look, people didn't care about 211. You know, yes, a hardcore, you know, MMA fan cared about UFC 211. It was a great fight card lineup. But in terms of, you know, people coming out, people just don't care. And the UFC knows this. They understand that they have a star, you know, they're they're the entertainment business. They have to create stars. And when you're looking at a year of 2017 where you have no Ronda Rousey, you have Conor McGregor who's only going to be in a boxing matchup, which the UFC acts like they're not a promoter, but let's be real, they're a promoter in this one. And now it almost seems like Conor McGregor isn't necessarily all in on December 30th anymore, so you're potentially not having a quote-unquote branded UFC pay-per-view with Conor McGregor. I mean, this is going to be a very down year. That's why UFC 214, to me, is so critical in terms of what the UFC does in the pay-per-view market in 2014 or 2017. If that pay-per-view doesn't do well, I mean, look, there's going to be a ton of people that are going to order this pay-per-view. I think there's going to be a ton of people that are going to go out and watch this pay-per-view. But, you know, to me, it's it's kind of this sign where I think the UFC has to understand is they have to do things to get people more excited about their fights. I think a, a major problem that the UFC has in 2017 is it, because there is so many events, they don't know how to properly promote events. Sam, we're recording this just a couple days before UFC on Fox 25. What have you seen promoting Wyman Gaslam? Very little. Yeah, exactly. You you I've read a couple inter- I've read a couple interviews from Gaslam and that's about it. Exactly. I mean, it, it's just it's to me it's it, it's it points to the problem the UFC has where there, there's so many cards and they just don't I mean like okay, you mentioned about Kevin Lee. How are you not getting behind Kevin Lee? I don't know. And, and well, let's look at Justin Gaethje. God. They, they bury him on tough. You know, I, it's Gaethje versus Alvarez. That's a great fight. Why do we have to wait five months for it? Just make the fight. It should, Let it, those it, guys it, talk and build the trash talk between those guys in the media and press conferences. Cause both guys will talk. They would have built the fight up just as big as it will be by being promoted on tough. It, to and be, I, I, Go, go ahead, sorry. To me, you should have made Bisming Whitaker the coach of Tough. With Bisming on the sideline due to his knee injury, 
He's not going to fight till end of the year anyway. I, I just the only reason that you put Justin Gaethje in that spot is if Justin Gaethje told you he didn't want to fight till December. And my guess is that's not the case. That he he wants to keep fighting. And you know I, I've talked about this on my um, preview and post fight show with Justin Gaethje. And and I'll get your thoughts on this. Should his next fight be on Fox or pay per view? Fox. That's what I thought too. I, I think you 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 have a potential. I mean, look that that fight between him and Alvarez that's going to be bonkers. Yeah, that's still there. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I mean that okay. fight's just going to be absolutely crazy. It, it will be crazy. The and the other thing is, you know, Justin Gaethje. If if you had made that fight with Alvarez and say you had set it for September. Both those guys, you know, come out of it reasonably healthy. Conceivably, you could have them fight again either in a rematch or against different opponents in December. John Nash, I think his point was that, you know, oh, it's a five-month, you know, delay. It's really not that big of a deal. But to me, you're taking the possibility of both guys doing two more fights between now and the end of the year. You're taking that away, and instead you're limiting to them, them to just one. And they need – guys like Justin Gaethje, Eddie Alvarez, to fight as much as possible, bearing them, putting them on tough, getting one more fight out of them for the rest of the year, I don't think that makes a lot of sense, especially because not too many people are watching tough anymore. I don't know how much good it's going to do for the Q score of Justin Gaethje. He got a ton of attention coming out of this last fight. He's, he's gonna get, He would get more attention coming out of another big performance on a visible platform such as Fox Sports 1 or even Fox than he would by being on the reality show, which not many people watch anymore. Before we get back to Mayweather and McGregor, let me ask you this, because this is something I put out on social media. From your perspective, you know, being a guy who's been in the sport for a long time, who would you? which is a better free agent acquisition, Gaethje to the UFC or Rory McDonald to Bellator? No, that's, that's a tough question to answer because Justin Gaethje won't – Would if Justin Gaethje went to Bellator, he wouldn't – are you talking about in general or what it means to each promotion? In general, like if, if you sat there and said you had to say who got the better free agent acquisition, to me it's Gaethje, the UFC, because he has got a fighting style that is going to draw that casual sports fan – to his fight. I don't know if you could say that with the casual sports fan would go out of their way to watch Roy McDonald fight Bellator. I agree with you 100%. Plus, I think Justin Gaethje is going to be brash. He's going to talk trash, whereas Rory McDonald is a lot more respectful. And while I appreciate Rory McDonald as a sportsman, the reality is Justin Gaethje's approach, his willingness to talk trash and ruffle some feathers – that's going to make himself and the UFC more money in the long run. Hell, his willingness to say that he knows he's going to get knocked out at some point. I mean, wh- what fighter says that? Yeah. yeah. I mean, but uh, getting back to Mayweather McGregor, um, in terms of the world tour, you know, we got this question asked from Scott. He said, who came off worse, Connor or Floyd? Well, I don't think Connor came off bad. I think Floyd came off bad when he went the homophobic route. I think that was. Really, really bad. I mean, look, if you were expecting highbrow, intellectual, articulate conversation between the two, then you, you shouldn't be really watching combat sports anyway. Um, you know, but as far as talking trash from a fight sport perspective, I thought it was pretty entertaining. I thought the only really low points was when, uh, was when Connor went homophobic. 
I, not Connor, when Floyd went homophobic and then Connor, Connor kind of went into a great area when it came to the race card. And I would tell you for anyone who, if you go over to the radio influence YouTube channel, we have a piece of audio from Ian Beckles, who's a former NFL player, played offensive line in the league where he, he talked about the, uh, dance for me boy. And he flat out said, that's a racist statement. Yeah, I mean, I'm not African-American, so I'm not going to get on here and tell African-American people whether or not they should be offended. If an African-American person says that's an offensive statement and African-Americans in, in mass say it's an offensive statement, then I've got to believe that it's probably offensive and racist. Uh, yeah, I, that that seems to be, you know, obviously we're two white males, so but yeah. that, that is definitely um, I've, I've talked. Yeah, to I'm not going to I'm not going to tell someone how they should feel about something. I've talked you know? to a couple of, you know, of friends of mine. I said, do you think this is? And they, they all said, yes. I mean, and let's not let's not deny that Conor McGregor throughout the years has said some comments that has raised a lot of people's eyes. And then he doubled down on the, on the next uh, press conference with some with some statements, which uh, I don't know if they were racist per se, but they were pretty racial when he was talking about his African-American female fans. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did any see- any, any uh, reveal to the world? I, I didn't know that Connor was was half black. Yeah, yeah that uh, that was uh, so that was a ma- I'm surprised that didn't get more press co- coverage, Jason. That's a major revelation. I guess he's been on Ancestry.com and got some surprising news recently from his DNA test. Yeah, that there was uh, there were some surprising things uh, that came out of this world tour. Maybe the one of the most surprising things to me that has happened over the last week or so, is the betting odds. Yes. Conor yes. McGregor has convinced people he's going to win. <laughs> and, and, you know, there's smart money and dumb money, and I think the most honest point as far as the timeline of a betting line is when the odds first come out, and then pretty much everything that happens after that with regards to the movement of the betting line either is based on public information, whether someone's injured or something's going on, or it's or it's just reaction to where the money's coming in. And for the odds to go down like that, that means a lot of money must be coming in on McGregor. And I, I'm not calling that smart money. I'm calling that dumb money. Like, okay, if I was in Las Vegas, Sam, and I had an extra 20 bucks to throw away, would I put 20 bucks on Conor McGregor just, you just, just as a fun bet? Sure. But you, The problem you, is, Jason, so many people are betting on McGregor. The odds aren't that fat right now. Yeah, I know. I mean, when the when the first odds initially came out, but now I mean, what is he only like a five to one underdog now? I think uh, I think it's slightly less than four to. Last time I looked, which was at the end of last week, he was slightly less than four to one. It's crazy because I remember I was talking to somebody and, and they had basically said, "He goes, look, by the end of this world tour, Connor is going to have so many people convinced he's going to win this fight." He goes, "Watch that that betting line change dramatically," and God knows it has. And, and I want Connor to win. I'll be rooting for Connor, but he's not going to win. No, it, I, I think he is correct. I, I think the assumption of is Connor McGregor wins this fight. I think it's in the first four rounds. But I mean, you know, I think one of the questions, and I know a lot of people brought this up about the fight, is you know what happens if this fight all of a sudden hits the eighth and ninth round? Is Connor going to have the cardio? I think at one point, I, I think if he is just getting slaughtered for five, six, seven, eight rounds, I think ultimately he just goes for broke, and that's when Floyd knocks him out. It really depends. You know, there's different ways to get knocked out. Uh, you know, you can get knocked out from just cumulative blows and your equilibrium goes out. You know, you see some of the guys that have fought Nate and Nick Diaz, they don't necessarily hit the hardest, but you take enough punches 
to the head, you're gonna you're gonna come out pretty woozy, and you're not gonna be able to maintain balance, and eventually you lose your consciousness. You look at Ben Aspen. A lot of people talk about you know how his striking isn't good, and how you know he's very limited. But you know the grounded pound. I've seen guys. I've seen it up close. You know the shots don't look that hard when he's ground and pounding guys. But then you see the fighter that lost the fight. Uh, you know two guys. That I'll, I'll uh, well the one guy I'll name is Lyman Good, and you're seeing him walk around after the fight. You know, talking about how, oh, he doesn't hit that hard, but his face is mashed up and he's stumbling. You're like, well, those blows, you know, took, they, they added up. I mean, they add up and they do cumulative damage. Then also, you know, another way you, you can lose in boxing from a knockout is just cardio. Your body just gives out. Um, you know, you take a couple shots, um, you lose your balance a little bit, but, you know, your, your body is just completely spent and, and you can't, you know, the, the, your, your extremities aren't responding to, you know, your brain waves. So, you know, I don't think you're going to see Connor get knocked out clean. I don't think you're going to get, get him. I don't think you're going to see him get knocked out at all. I think he may go the distance. But if he does get knocked out or TKO'd or there's a doctor stoppage, it's going to be because either he got too tired or he just took too many blows and wasn't defending himself. There's not going to be that big flash knockout if Connor loses that way. Look, I, I Floyd, think Floyd, I, Floyd doesn't hit hard enough. I mean, he, he has pillow hands and, you know, Compared to what Connor's used to, they're going to feel like pillows at the start of the fight. You know, Floyd's not a hard hitter, and then you strap on 12-ounce gloves. Connor's used to getting punched in the face with four-ounce gloves. Those punches, they're not going to hurt that much initially. You know, I feel like it's almost kind of a win if Connor does last 12 rounds. I think he could, especially if Floyd decides at any point during the fight, especially during the middle rounds, that he wants to carry Connor a little bit. I don't think Floyd is going to try to end the fight early. It's just not his style. He's not that aggressive. And I don't know if he's going to want to go out and win every single round. I think he may try to carry him a little bit, may even dump a couple rounds to get the crowd going, get them excited. In terms of some other things that came out, um, obviously before the L.A. stop, it was revealed on that Monday morning that uh, Dana White used his power to remove Ariel Hawani from the Showtime Sports broadcast. And it, it it is that whole situation clearly is – it's personal with Dana White. When, when, I mean, you know, we don't know the inner workings of, you know, the told story of what happened between Dana White and Ariel Hawani, but – Clear for Dana, it's personal, and now he's just trying to screw with Ariel's career. And we've heard Ariel's side of it. He, you know, he's gone on his show and, and talked about it. Dana's saying it's personal. Well, then Dana, you know, should come out and, and tell us exactly what's so personal about it. You know, get his side out there because we've only heard one side of it, and based on that side, I think what Dana's doing to Ariel is completely wrong. I mean, it, look, he he's the boss of his own company. Well, maybe not the boss, but he's pretty high up there. He doesn't want Ariel Hawani working for the UFC. That's his prerogative. But to go out and try to dictate terms to a third party and prevent someone from basically taking care of their family, you know, taking care of his, his children, his wife, it's, that's, that's pretty messed up. You know, that's pretty hardcore, especially from a guy who just, you know, walked away with 200 plus million from the sale of the UFC less than a year ago. I mean, this guy is a hundred millionaire. Why is he worried about Ari Hawani? Ari Hawani doesn't work for you anymore. He's gone. If he, if Showtime wants to hire him, who gives a crap? You know, is, 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 yeah. is, is, is he really worried about it? You know, I, I could understand maybe if there was an issue between McGregor and Ariel 
and Connor went to, to Dana and Dana just, you know, wanted to do something for Connor to, to, to make sure that this fight stayed intact. But I don't think that was the case. It's Dana versus Ariel. And I think it's, I think it's BS. I just, I don't understand how someone can get that petty when they're that friggin' rich. Well, and I think also it's people start wondering about, you know, the line is, is a UFC crossing here. You know, they're quote unquote, not the promoters of this fight, but you know, are they stepping over this line? I mean, it's, it's from a media aspect. It's terrible. I mean, look, I mean, if you had a problem with uh, Aaron Hawani uh, being a part of Showtime broadcast, Dana wasn't worried about Brent Schaub. It's not like Brent Schaub's Mr. Pro UFC guy. Yeah. Well, I'm surprised Showtime acquiesced. I, I, I used to work for Showtime, you know, years ago, a part of their production team. And I can tell you this, Gary Shaw, who was the promoter of of Elite XC for a little while, wasn't a big fan of mine. Uh, I was pretty critical of him and the promotion at times on my website. And he took that really personally. And I remember I was at the Strike Force. I think it was not, it wasn't Strike Force. It was a Elite XC event. Um, it was in Miami, and I remember I was, you know, cage side because I always sat cage side, and I saw Gary Shaw come out. He started pointing at me, started calling people over, and you know, it, th- then a couple minutes later he walked out, you know, in, in a huff. And I asked people what was going on, and, I, and someone told me, "Oh, Gary Shaw wanted you removed uh, from from cage side." And I go, "Well, do I have to go?" And they're like, "No, we we." It was show, it was a Showtime official. He says, no, we told him to go to hell. We told him there's no way he's going to tell us how to do our broadcast. And then not only that, David Dinkins put me on commentary. I was supposed to do like an interview spot between the undercard fights uh, as, a, as the, you know, a blogger who was, you know, there working for the production and just giving my opinion between fights. Mm-hmm. He sat me on color commentary for three fights. And I, <laughs> awesome. I, I think that I think that was David Dinkins' way of giving Gary Shaw the finger. It was awesome. I got to call fights with Stephen Quadros and Morrow. It was it was incredible. Oh, that's so, awesome. So much. It was oh, it was awesome. It was one of the highlights of my life. Uh, but you know that that's an example of Showtime standing up to a promoter. You know, I guess you know, that was Ken Hirschman. Ken Hirschman didn't even like me, and they, him, David Dinkins, went to bat for me. So I guess you know Stephen Espinosa said he he fought for Ariel, but at the end of the day, how hard did he fight? Because Ariel got removed from a company that isn't even officially a promoter of the fight. I mean, what yeah. what would have what would they have done had Showtime said, "All right, we we understand your feelings, but we're not making a change." What's Connor not going to show up? Yeah, no, Connor's showing up. He wants that payday. Come on, right? I mean, so of course he's going to show up. Maybe Dana and, White doesn't show up. I I don't think that's happening. Dana seemed like he was pretty pretty uh, enthused about. Being in the center of that, uh, yeah, yeah, it, uh, you know, it's, it's just kind of an unfortunate situation, you know. And I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure Ariel still got paid, but knowing a guy like Ariel, it wasn't just about the money. The opportunity to work with a company as prestigious in combat sports as Showtime, yeah. not having that opportunity, being able to officially add that to his resume, I'm sure that hurt more than anything else. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm sure that probably Showtime said, "Hey, you know, here, here's what you're going to get paid anyway," but it's just. You know, it's unfortunate, and look, and that, and that type of stuff definitely does happen in May. You know, that's kind of, you know, the last time we did a show, we talked about the, the uh, Journal Association, which, you know, I, I know a lot of people kind of, you know, point to, you know, the issues you, you see between, you know, the UFC and, and the media. But I also wonder, you know, and I don't know the answer to this question, but, you know, will the Journal Association help out reporters if they if reporters feel they've been wronged by, 
non-UFC promoters, whether, you know, you know, a, a promotion not named UFC. I think that that kind of becomes a, a an interesting little sidebar. And, uh, you know, we'll say, I mean, I, I haven't really heard much about the Journal Association since really it, it came out. Uh, you know, and of course, you know, a lot of fans, I think they, you know, want to know how much is Conor McGregor going to make? I know you've had the calculator out trying to figure out how much money he's going to make. John Nash, I know he's done a, you know, sent out some tweets that were kind of, uh, I found very interesting of what, uh, Conor McGregor, uh, could potentially make. You know, I think the number a lot of people throw out there is, can he make a hundred million? No, I don't think he can. Going through these numbers, I did like a preliminary calculation last week, and it came out very, very low. Um, I just did a, a, a more formal one right before we went on the air, and I want to go over my numbers so everyone can see my math, and if they feel like I'm way off about something or making a mistake, now you know how I got to my number, and you can tell me where I went wrong, because a lot of this is just based on numbers that I've gotten from this place or that place. It's not hard reporting. This is very speculative and conjecture on my part, but I started out, you know, I want to get your numbers too, but I'm, I started out with a projection of 4.5 million pay-per-views. That's the number I think I'm, I'm going to stick with. I think 5 million and above, I think that's very, very generous. I think more than 4.5 million people are going to watch this pay-per-view, but I think ultimately what will hurt this number is A, illegal streams, illegal downloading, mm -hmm. and then B, in order to afford this pay-per-view, you really can't watch it by yourself unless you're super loaded. You're going to have to have a lot of friends, and I think there's a lot of people interested, people that aren't normally interested in a, in a fight like this. So I think you're going to see a lot of parties where you may have as many as 5, 10, 15, 20 people crammed into a room watching this fight. So I think that's going to hold the number down. So 4.5 million Times ninety nine ninety nine. I came out to four. Uh, man, these numbers are just so big. Uh, four hundred and forty nine. It's close to five million. Five hundred million. But we're, I think it's four hundred and forty nine million five uh, five hundred and fifty thousand. So I, I think the question on that number, Sam, I'll let you get more into it. Is is this a fifty fifty split between? the promotions and the cable and satellite distributors, or is it more the cable satellite are only getting 40%? I think that's that's kind of the number you don't know about. That takes me to the first piece of the pie that comes out of that $450 million. Um, So I have it as a 45% pay-per-view cut. 45 is going to come out and go to the pay-per-view distributors. Typically, it's 50-50, but I've heard from certain people in the industry that when it's a big, big event like this, Sometimes the split changes a little bit and it's more in favor of the content provider. I've heard that sometimes you can even get it down to 40 uh, percent if the if the projection's big enough. I'm going to kind of err on the side of caution and go in between 40 and 50 percent and go with a 45 percent uh, deduction going out to the pay-per-view companies. That takes us to 247 million 475 uh, and 250,000. So. Uh, that's so we're at basically give it 247 million, give or take a few uh, dimes and nickels there. Now you have to pay out Mayweather. Mayweather has to get his cut. I'm going with 60 percent. I've heard that maybe Connor's uh, going to have to, you know, go with a 70 30 split, 30 to Connor, 70 to, to, to Floyd. But I've heard also that it's basically 60 40 as well. So I'm going to go with 60 percent. So after you pay out Mayweather, that takes us to 98 million, 990 uh, and 100. 
now the UFC has to get paid. I'm not even factoring in Showtime. I'm going to factor Showtime's cut coming out of Mayweather's. I'm just going to focus on the UFC, their cut. I've heard different things. I've heard 40 million. I've heard 40%. I'm going with 40% going to the UFC. That takes us down to 59,394,394.60. So we're at 59,394.60. Now, Connor has to pay out his nutritionist. He has to pay out his manager. He has to pay out his trainer. He has to even pay his movement coach, training partners, bringing in Brandon Rios. It's not cheap. But I'm going to say, to be conservative, highly conservative, it's 20%. 20% to pay out everyone, trainers, managers, everybody. I'm going to say it's 20%. That takes us from 59 and change to 47, 515, 248. That's what he's left with. Now, he still has to pay his tax. Now, I researched it. I'm still not exactly sure when he has to pay that tax out at, at what point, but I'm doing it after he pays all the manager's fees because even if, if the tax comes before he pays those fees out, he still can get some of that money back through an IRS uh, tax return at the end of the year uh, if he itemizes his expenses. He can, he can get that from what I understand because he's self-employed. Um, if he's an LLC, which I hope he is, He's going to get that money back anyway. So I, I got to 47, 515, 248 minus, I think the highest income tax that he has to pay out of that would be 39.6%. I could be wrong. I'm not an accountant. So the final number that I have, 28,699,209.79. Uh, so 28,699,209. Yeah, I mean, I think it all comes down to how many pay-per-views it's size. I mean, that, that's where it really comes down. And I think probably the number you have to mention is what type of advertising revenue does does McGregor's team bring in for him for maybe logos that are going to be on his trunk. Maybe there's a walkout shirt, something along those lines. I think that's... But that's at another. those prices, though, Jason, there's no guarantee he gets that. No, I mean, I mean, let's say he makes a million a million dollars in, in sponsorship. I mean that that might be a good number for him. Yeah, that that'd probably be, that, that would be. But let's be, be honest I mean, about it. When you're talking that about take... that kind of price tag, you have. I mean, you're you're down to a handful of companies that could really afford that, or well, want to pay that. But according to my calculations, even if he does well in sponsors, let's just round it up. I'm gonna project him with about thirty, making about thirty million off this fight. And so I've heard someone say that he's guaranteed to make $100 million. Maybe he gets a check cut to him for $100 million, but there's a lot of people that he has to pay out. The UFC has to get their cut. His manager, trainer, training mm -hmm. partners, yeah. nutritionist, movement coach, they've got to get their cut. And then Uncle Sam definitely has to get his cut. So maybe he is getting $100 million, but is that a figure before all the deductions or after? I don't think it's after the dungeon. Oh, yeah, no, no, I think it's before. No, I, I agree with you. I definitely think it's before. I mean, I mean, you know, for me, if if I say, and I think five million pay per view buys is probably the number that will be my prediction. I mean, so if you just round it all up, we're talking that's five hundred million um, in pay per view revenue. Let's just take your number of forty five percent. That's two hundred twenty five million for the provider. So I mean, you're already down to two hundred seventy five million. Floyd hasn't even gotten paid. 
you know, say Foy gets six percent, now you're now you're down. You know that number just keeps dwindling and dwindling and dwindling down. I mean, look, it's still going to be the biggest payday of his career, but I, 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 to me, the UFC is taking such a huge risk here because what happens if he wins? Now, I think it's literally a five percent chance that that happens, but if he wins, I don't think you ever see him in the octagon again. I think we will. I think his Q score will be so high, but I think the way that fights are promoted with him will be completely changed. I mean, he essentially will be Floyd Mayweather and the UFC will be Showtime. He will get basically 60% of whatever a pay-per-view generates that he mm-hmm. fights on. You know, his current contract that he has, even if he doesn't win, I think that contract is torn up. Yes, he can't go and fight for anyone else, but he his Q score will be so high and he'll represent so much income to the UFC that by not fighting – he'll be hurting them just as much as if he fought for someone else. Simply by not fighting and not generating revenue for the UFC that he could possibly generate for them, that in itself will hurt them. So they're going to have to renegotiate, I think, win or lose. And I think he's going to have a Mayweather-type structure where he's going to walk in and say, look, I want to make 60% of what's left after the pay-per-view companies get their cut. You know, I I just think that's, you know, how it's going to go. And looking at the projections – he should be making a lot more, especially for a guy coming out of his comfort zone, going into a sport that he's really not proficient in to do this with so many people interested and in paying money to see it. He should make more than 30 million. Oh, no. he absolutely should. No, no question. What do you take of the rumors of him being knocked out in training by uh, Brandon Rios? Well, Brandon Rios is pretty, pretty tough. He's a pretty heavy hitter. He hits much harder than Mayweather, you know, you hear rumors about this type of stuff happening all the time. And without knowing the exact context, Jason, it's really hard to know what to make of it because I've been in situations where I've gone into camps to scout fighters and I've seen big name guys get dropped or just get completely worked over. And then the coach will come in and stop. Was this a situation where Brandon Rios was headhunting and, you know, was going at, at a intensity that was one or two levels above what Connor was doing, and he completely, you know, meted out and you know, just crossed the line and, and went after Connor, or was it a situation where he was just boxing, you know, had fit, you know, sparring at fifty percent, and you know, Connor got knocked out. You know, I, I don't know. I, without having been there, I don't know. And even if you know Connor did get knocked out, it doesn't really mean that much at the end of the day. A lot of people are overreacting to it. I can think of a, a situation that I'll, that I'll tell you about, and a lot of people get pissed off that I'm revealing this on the air. But a big reason why we signed Joe Tamanglo to Bellator was because there was a rumor that came out that he had knocked out Michael Bisping in sparring. And if you've seen Bisping and you've seen Joe Tamanglo, Joe Tamanglo is tiny. He's a st- stocky, strong dude, but he is not very tall, not very big. So when we had heard that he had done that, uh, that he did that to Bisping, we got very interested. And someone that we worked with in the company was very close to Tamanglo, brought him to us, and we signed him. Now, if you go to Tamanglo, uh, he'll he'll he won't he won't you know we didn't get the the info from Tamanglo, and I asked him about it, and he kind of shook it off, and, and you know he didn't give me any kind of response. He wasn't gonna you know disrespect Bisping like that. But you know when I asked him, there were other people in the room that knew him pretty well. And Joe kind of walked out of the room. And, you know, once he was out of the room, his his guys told me, no, it's true. He knocked him out. So but what does that mean? That was years ago. 
Joe Tomenglo is a good fighter, but Michael Bisping went on to become a middleweight champion. Doesn't mean, you know, Michael Bisping may have gotten, may or, depending on who you talk to, may have gotten knocked out by a bantamweight or a featherweight. He's still a pretty damn good fighter. Mm-hmm. So just because Connor may have gotten KO'd in sparring by Brandon Rios, what does that mean at the end of the day? I also think that a lot of these the videos that come out of Connor training, I think, are being put out by Team McGregor on purpose. To to basically yeah. to to feed kind of to the people who think he doesn't have a chance in hell of winning. Okay. I, I think that some of this footage you get is very fake footage. You know, it's like it's it's being done on purpose. We'll have to see. You know, I mean, look, I uh, I've got a football game that night, so um, I hope uh, once I get out of the stadium, I'll, I'll be able to to walk into somewhere around the stadium to watch the fight. If not, uh, I'll have to watch it after the fact. But um, you know, look, there's I've had so many people who never asked me about MMA, combat sports that uh, you know have me interested, and I also I I. I don't know if it's going to help boxing or MMA, but I, I hope it does help both sports attract a new audience because I, I think particularly when you look at M- it, it, MMA product currently, um, it, it has kind of kind of flatlined a little bit to where you're not seeing the interest um, you know that was once there. I mean, you, you think about you know the the Brock Lesnar era. Of, <laughs> I knew that. I knew that's where you were going. I knew that was a good. That was, that was a perfect segue. Uh, of you know, you look back when Brock came into it, it came in the, into the UFC, and you know the, the sport was at such a high level at that point. And obviously now the rumors of, of Brock potentially coming back. It sounds like he is now entered in the USADA testing pool. Which I will tell you this, when you listen to and read stories about that, there's certain people you should be listening to because they can talk about the fact of Brock's suspension got got frozen when he retired. So it's not like that clock, that clock has to start back up, plus he has to go through, I believe it's now six months of testing, so that November date, time-wise, doesn't line up when he can fight. It could be December is more likelihood. And you know, look, I think if you're if you're the UFC, you want Brock Lesnar back inside your cage because you believe that he can bring in uh, a good amount of pay per view revenues. And if I'm Steve Miocic, I'm praying for Brock Lesnar to come back. Yeah, as long as he doesn't have the Demetrius Johnson contract where he's a champion without points on the pay per view, then absolutely you're begging for that fight. Not only stylistically is it pretty good, considering that if you don't get taken down by Brock, you can. You have a good chance to knock him out if you're a good striker, as good of a striker as Stipe is. You know that that's that's a really potential big KO moment for him. That that's there, especially Brock Lesnar coming back maybe at 39 or 40 after a long layoff. If you're Stipe Miocic, you're feeling good about that matchup. It's going to make you a lot of money and raise your Q score. If you're the UFC, you don't necessarily care who wins or loses. You know you've got a pay per view problem. You know your numbers are down from the year prior. You've got to do something. You don't know whether or not GSP is going to actually get in the cage before the end of the year. So if you hear Brock Lesnar might be interested, you're doing everything possible to get him in before the end of the year. That would be big. I don't know if it was if it'd be as big as it was, you know, a couple of years back when he came back the first time. Uh, especially now that you know he's tested positive and he, he's been away. But I still think it's pretty big. And Brock Lesnar fighting for the heavyweight champion. You'd have to be a really bad promoter to screw that one up. And here's the thing, Jason. If he doesn't fight Stipe, who is who would he fight? Who would you predict Lesnar to beat in the top ten in the UFC? I'm just going to run down the names. Stipe, 
Overeem, Verdum, Velasquez, JDS, Inganu, Hunt, Lewis, Volkov, or Struve? I think Hunt starting on down, he could win those fights, but the fighters ranked above Hunt, no way. And, you know, and it's a shame that maybe a guy like Josh Barnett isn't cleared to fight. It's a shame that maybe Frank, you know, Mir is not still on the roster and not, you know, and not el- and also suspended. Because those would be pretty good matchups well, for, for and, Brock, and I think they would sell a lot. And also remember, Frank Mir uh, just asked and was given his release from his UFC right. contract. That's you think he, you think Frank might be kicking himself a little bit right now? Well, how much time does he have left on the suspension? Uh, April 2018 when he, is when he comes off. Okay. Well, he, here, you know here's the, yeah, here's yeah. the other interesting part about that Frank Mir situation. And because we've never we've not seen this situation really come up. Let's just say Bellator signs Frank Mir. What United States based commission is going to going to uh, accept that uh, accept him for a fight? I think there would be commissions that would say USADA is not a part of the Association of Boxing Commissions and Combative Sports. We're not honoring that suspension. It's a good point, and it's especially especially if it's a state the UFC does not go to. Now, I don't see a state that the UFC regularly goes to that would approve that fight. But if it's a state where the UFC never goes to or has a very bad relationship like Oklahoma? with, uh, yeah, um, <laughs> Missouri, Texas, yeah. <laughs> uh, Frank Mir could get them back into Missouri, right? That, that would be one guy that could get them to want to go back. I mean, but that—that's—I mean—that's always been the question with USADA: is will there be a state athletic commission? that would give a fighter a license when he's under suspension with USADA. And, and we may we see that with Frank Mir. Um, I think most likely maybe we see him. I think at some point we do see Frank Mir in Bellator, but my gut feeling on the situation is I don't think Bellator would promote a fight with Frank Mir until that suspension's up. Yeah. They've, we've heard some rumors that they've tried to do things similar to that, a.k.a. Vanderlei Silva. Yep. Um, but at the end of the day, they acquiesced on that one. So maybe they would be advised not to even go down this path with, with Mir. Maybe that would get nipped in the bud before it even started. Let me. I mean, I know you're you're big in professional wrestling. Do you think there's still an audience there for Brock Lesnar, that crossover effect? Yeah, there is. I don't think it would be as big as it was before the suspension, but I think it's still there. Yeah, I just, you know, because I think with UFC 200 and maybe because they're just it was so quick that I just didn't feel like there was there was that buzz there for, for Brock, but we'll, we'll see what happens to there. Plus, fighting for the heavyweight title, that that would be big. No, that definitely uh, would be big. Uh, the other big uh, news item going on in MMA is the real sports piece uh, that, uh, you know, I think first off, you got to kind of give a lot of credit, uh, really Kareem Zidane, who, who really started this piece. And he was a part of this piece with the Chechen president. I, this is, this will be, it's interesting to see how the story has been covered, but I'm going to say this to any reporter that is in New York covering UFC on Fox 25. If you do not ask Chris Weidman about that real sports piece, that says a lot about you as a reporter. And the piece was very well done, and I advise anyone that's listening to this podcast, regardless of what your country affiliation is, to go out and find a way to watch that piece. Very well done. It was excellent to see Kareem Jadon's you know, reporting manifest into such a big story. 
as this. I, I, we also need to give a little credit to Patrick Wyman, who I think probably may have written the first was, was probably the first in you know MMA media to, to write about uh, Kadyrov. But watching the interview, even though I've read Kareem's article, seeing the interview, seeing him speak, it really illuminated it. And you know, there's a lot of bad people in the world, and everyone has a different worldview. And we'd be ignorant to think that this is just an American-based show. Anyone in the world can listen to it. I know people that aren't American may have a completely different worldview than I do. But there's a lot of bad people in the world, a lot of scary people. We've got a guy in North Korea who's really, really scary, uh, you know, has nuclear weapons at his disposal. And you've got a guy like Kadyrov who has a pretty formidable army at his disposal. And it's just scary. Some of the things that he's been accused of, you know, it's Kareem's a much braver man than I am, you know, to, to report on this guy uh, is you as soon as you report on this guy and especially if you still travel to portions of Europe, you know, you you're you're really crossing, you know, into the danger zone there. I mean, the, the part of the story that uh, aired on Real Sports, there was a journalist, a Russian-based journalist, that covered Kadyrov uh, for a Russian newspaper and was very outspoken, calling some of the you know atrocities that Kadyrov's been accused of, calling them delight. And this reporter no longer is alive. And there's speculation that Kadyrov had her killed, and he denied it during the interview. But... You know, who else was she enemies with? She was gunned down in Moscow outside of her apartment by, four, I think it was four gunmen. You know, why was she, why would she have been killed in that sort of fashion otherwise? So it, it's it's scary. You know, you, you, you have to say a prayer for, for Kareem because he still go, you know, that's, I don't know where he lives, where he's based out of, but he, I know that he spent time in that part of the world and, you know, he, he's covered off very honestly and openly and it's that doesn't seem like the type of uh you know uh freedom of speech is not something Kadyrov seems big on yeah I, I think the other aspect of this story is i mean look and obviously it was about his love of ma and we have seen a lot of ufc fighters go over there we have seen fabricio verdum call him uh, i believe the quote is his brother oh, the God. next time fabricio verdum does an interview if you are that reporter doing an interview how do you not question Fabricio Verdum? How do you not question any manager that sets up their fighter to head to Chechnya for a paid appearance? And this situation is not unprecedented. We've seen it in the press where major recording stars have been paid lots of money by these fringe governments to go over and appear at an award ceremony and do a show. And then it comes out that the person, you know, that's in charge of the, con the the country that they just performed at and were paid by is a massive human rights violator. And there's a lot mm -hmm. of egg on the, the, the celebrity's face on the performer's face and they never go back. They don't, they, they apologize and they distance themselves from it as much as possible. You know, if you were looking at an NBA situation, if, if, Somebody wanted to bring some NBA players out to a rogue nation and have them do a basketball camp. The NBA would never let that happen. So if you're the UFC, you have to be very, very uncomfortable about your fighters' affiliations with Kadyrov. And I don't think that they can be as disciplinarian as the NBA is or Major League Baseball because their, their athletes are employees. 
UFC fighters, and UFC has said many a time, they are not employees. They're independent contractors. So it's not like the UFC can necessarily tell for Doom or Frankie Edgar or Chris Reidman, hey, you can't go over there. You can't be associated with this guy. you know. But what they could do and what they should do is advise their fighters and publicly speak out against their fighters going to Chechnya and training Kadyrov's quote-unquote warriors and his fighters and making appearances and, and, and even acknowledging the guy. I mean, they, they need to take a more proactive and public stand against Kadyrov, especially since they're an American-based company. He's very anti-American. If they were a true global entity, you could say that they just share a different worldview than you and I, Jason, mm-hmm. but... The UFC is an American-based company. Yes, they do promotions outside of the U.S., but they are an American company. Make no mistake about it. So for them not to speak out against their athletes appearing with Kadyrov and training his, not only his fighters, but members of his army. You know, if Chris Wyman goes and does a clinic for the the, the fight club, which is, you know, 5,000 strong, uh, reportedly, you know, not all 5,000 of those guys are MMA fighters. They're part of Kadyrov's special forces. You're training them combat techniques that potentially could be used against U.S. interest in combat. Mm-hmm. That's pretty scary. Someone needs to tell Chris Weidman, don't ever go over there again. And that's why I think that uh, he should be. When um, Media Day happens this week, which I actually believe is on Thursday of this week, the question has to go to Chris Weidman, and I think that ultimately, you know, you have to, as a reporter, you have to, you have to push the, the questions on that and, and any fire that has gone over there. And I, I think that uh, it'll be, I'm interested to see how this story gets covered as time goes on. Does do people push this issue, or is this one of the things where I, I think kind of. You have this great uh, great line where you talked about you know certain MMA reporters are kind of outliners. They they go out and kind of report the way they want to report. You know myself, Mike Russell, John Nash, Paul Gift. I, I think you have to look at Kareem Zidane in, in that Absolutely. as well. Um, will there be major MMA media members that would be willing to look more into this? That's my well, question. let's let's just let's just put it out there. I mean, we, you and I talked about it off the air a little bit, and it's been on MMA Twitter. A couple of reporters that are the outliers that I refer to, they've made mention that you know this may get limited coverage from the MMA media mm-hmm. because the common thread here in a lot of the fighters that appear for Kadyrov and his promotion, Akmat MMA, the the common thread there, the 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 conduit is Ali Abdelaziz. And Ali gives a lot of stories off the record and so on the record to media members. And if they were to report something that would call negative attention to this and put their put his fighters in, in a situation where they could no longer go over there and collect big paychecks, it would hurt his fighters and ultimately hurt him financially. And they don't want to do that because if they did, they may lose access to Ali's uh, his scoops, the, the, the stories that he puts out and plants and gives to them. That's that's the, the issue. I mean, that's what MMA Twitter, certain people on MMA Twitter is, are saying. And I, I think that's that's that has to be it. That has to be a big part of this as to why it's being covered the way it has. And when I say being covered, 
very little coverage, if at all. You know, I was kind of surprised to see Mark Ramondi and MMA fighting a day before the report aired. They put a story out there. You know, will there be any will there will there be any follow up though? That's the big question. Yeah, I mean that that is definitely a big question mark. I mean, look, and if Ali Abdelaziz were to do an interview, um, I I think that would be something that you'd have to ask Ali and says, you know, how would you respond to people who who mentioned this? What what would your response be? I mean, um, but you know, in in covering a sport, you know, look, you have to you want to have relationships with managers, but the good the best managers out there understand that as a reporter, there's sometimes you got to report bad news. And as long if it's true, you can't get pissed off about it. Unfortunately, in MMA, there's a lot of news that is truth that is all 100% you know truths that people get pissed off about. It's just because it ultimately got out there. And as a reporter and an insider, you have sources that you have to protect in order to maintain mm-hmm. access and yeah. that pipeline of information. But at what cost, Jason? At what cost are you going to protect your source? How much is a scoop really worth to you? Ali Abdelaziz has been accused of some major, major uh, transgressions. And, you know, Kadyrov has been accused of being a massive human rights violator. Is protecting that element really worth it to you? At what cost will you go to to get a story? Yeah, it's going to be uh, as I said. Just be interesting to see how this story does evolve. I'm, you know, I'm sure Kareem Zidane's not going to stop in his reporting, and I commend him for the reporting he does on that story because I, I think there's not a lot of reporters that would uh, definitely want to go around that story. Now, some other. And I want to uh, add, add something real quick okay. because you know a lot of these guys over there. It's pretty scary because when the Frodo Kosbalayev thing came out, and I was public in my denial about it. I mean, I received death threats. They were death threats, and they were sent over Facebook, and they were from they were from Russians, and they were from you know people that part of the world that were very pro you know Frodo, and you know because they took whatever was out there uh, at complete face value, they didn't take into any consideration that it was a total lie and a complete fabrication, and that I had nothing to do with any of those accusations. But you know, I still got death threats. I didn't give a crap about it at the end of the day. They were over Facebook, and you could tell they were we were separated by an ocean. But, you know, uh, Kareem, when he goes over there, he's not separated by an ocean. You know, there someone wanted to get close to him. You know, my prayers are with them. You know, they, they are. Here's the thing. And, here's the thing I would say about Ferdo Kospelayev. If he doesn't have visa issues, why is the last time he fought in the United States 2013? Well, he'll never fight here again. No, and that's he, not me saying I don't want him to fight again or me saying that I had something to do with him fighting, not fighting here. There are pictures of him out there that are circulating that mm-hmm. any anybody can get of him being photographed with some very, very bad people. This has nothing to do with anybody in MMA. This has right. to do with the federal government saying we're not letting you in our country. Well, you know, look at who his management is. So I, I don't I didn't I haven't had the best relationship with his manager, you know, um, and of course that story gets put out there and people that you know want to kiss up to, to Ali and keep getting that scoop, you know, they'll they'll go out and they'll purvey lies for him. You know, it's just it's just crazy. Yeah, you know, and you know, of course Mike Russell has done a lot of reporting on that. And I know there look, there's a lot of people who who do not want to believe anything Mike Russell has to report. I mean, and uh you know, I'm not here to say, you know, I don't know. I don't 
have I've just read the stuff that's on his website. That's that's all I can say about it. But I will cool. tell you this: one of the conversations I had with Ali, and this was a long time ago, and, and I'm not gonna you know die, you know because it was an you know I would consider an off the record conversation. But one of the things I said to Ali, and because Mike Russell came up and he, he said what he said about Mike Russell, I said I go Ali, if what Mike is saying is completely false about you, you should be filing a defamation of character lawsuit against him. Right, and they haven't done that. And another thing, if, let's just say you don't believe Mike Russell. thing is, read his reporting. He is, in his reporting, he refers to many public sources that have referred to Ali's past. So this isn't just Mike Russell coming out and saying it's my word versus Ali's word. He is pointing to documented proof. You know, so you know, if you want to dispute Mike's position, then not only do you have to dispute Mike's position, you have to, to dispute some of the other other sources that are out there. Yeah. It's not just Mike. No, it's not just. There, there's plenty of things out there. and uh, But, you know, it's I, it's I go back to Chris Weidman just because he's gone over there. He has and to be asked about that story this week. If he's not, that says a lot about the people covering UFC on Fox 25. Well, because it means that it means that they're they're aware of it. It was just aired on HBO Real Sports. You can't say you're not aware of it. It's definitely uh, there, there's definitely an awareness there, and there's probably a desire to ask the question. But will there be a fear of repercussions in asking those questions, and will they give in to that fear? If I was, and it all goes back. It all goes back to Jason. At what cost? At what cost do you want to be an MMA reporter? At what cost do you want to break scoops? Because you're not making a ton of money as an MMA reporter. I can <laughs> I can vouch for that. I used to be an MMA reporter. Look, that's uh, why uh, my my main job is not MMA. <laughs> yeah. So it's again, it all the question is at what cost? Exactly. Uh, but you know, there is a ton of uh, other uh, small notes we want to get into before we get out of here on this episode of, of the podcast. Uh, Gegard Mousasi signs with Bellator. Joe Duffy resigns with the UFC. And the thing that, that stuck out to me, what Joe Duffy said on Arohawani's show on Monday, was he noted that USADA was a factor in him returning to the UFC. And there's there's been some rumblings that part of Gegard's deal basically says there's got to be drug testing involved in his fights, which I think will probably limit Gegard to certain commissions that Bellator knows will do drug testing. But... To me, if I'm Viacom on Bellator and I hear those Joe Duffy comments, I have to, you know, and yes, it's just Joe Duffy, but what if all of a sudden it's two, three, and four or five different fighters start saying this? I think Bellator has to start really start looking at what their drug testing policies are, not just in competition, but also out of competition. Because if you're a clean fighter, if you're doing things the right way, you don't want to put yourself in a position where you're constantly fighting guys that are cheating, that are juiced. So it's just, uh, they're, they're going to have to make some changes at, at a certain point. If, if, if you've got big name fighters like Musasi and Duffy coming out and saying, hey, we're clean, we need to make sure we're not fighting dirty fighters, that has to has to weigh on them. Another question though I have, Jason, this is a big, big signing for Bellator, and I think you know where I'm going with this because we talked about it off air. It's a big signing. You know, Can they sustain signings like this? And can they continue to, I mean, can they not only make it work with everyone they have now under contract? Can they continue to add to their roster? I mean, this is the thing, and, and let's just say that Gegard's making in the neighborhood what Rory McDonald's making. How do you financially make that work on Spike TV? 
you can't. That's why you need pay-per-view. And, you know, what you and I talked about, I think on the last show, right before the belts were pay-per-view, you and I made both made our predictions with regards to what we projected in the buys. And you and I are not in a position right now to, to report what we've heard as far as the exact number. But let's just say that we were both over in our prediction if the information that's out there. And it's not just you know going to Jason and I. It's circulating to multiple people yeah. that are inside the industry. I mean, it's, it's out there. It's common knowledge. You and I missed the mark. And we, I mean, me more so than you, we missed it by a lot. Yeah, I mean, the term not good would be the number. I would all say this because I had, I had somebody privately ask me about this the other day, and they said, why do you think the numbers not come out? And I said, I said, A, if this number was a home run, and what I would consider a home run for Bellator in today's landscape would be 150,000 buys. A grand slam would be anything over 200,000 buys. Oh, yeah. The number that's out there, it's it's Sam, it's not good. And I think that if this number was good, that someone in Spike or someone in Viacom or Bellator would have already fed that to the media. Now, remember, we heard the Bellator one twenty number pretty quickly. And yeah, a lot of people inside Bellator were extremely happy with that number. I think if if they were extremely happy with that number, I think we would the number would already be out there instead of the rumors going around in the MMA community. And I'll just say this. I'm not going to say the number I'm hearing because I'm not confident putting that number out there. I would just label it as not good. I thought, you know, that with this pay-per-view, they could build off it. That's what I had suggested. But based on the number that is going around now, it's not a number you can really build off of. And their card last Friday was the second lowest viewership of 2017 for them. The, 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 the lowest of the year was a Saturday afternoon card from Italy headlined by Rafael Carvella and Melvin Manhoff. I mean, I think that it's interesting to me with Bellator, the last time they held multiple shows in a month was April. They had three shows that month. Since then, they have just done one show a month. They will not have multiple shows in the same month until October, which I think that one of the things that is ultimately caused them is that it's allowed them to have deeper cards because they have to continue to offer fights to fighters so they're not in, in breach of those contracts. I mean, Bellator 181 was a very deep card, had a lot of, it, it, you know, as a, as a hardcore fight fan, it gave you reasons to tune into uh, the preliminary card. You know, it didn't have that big main event, even though Compost and Gertz ended up being a great fight. Bellator one eighty two, it's another you know solid deep lineup, but you know the question is is you know did they gain any momentum by by that pay per view? And right now it just it doesn't seem like in terms of viewership that they gain momentum. A lot of the moves that they have made, great signings, but at the prices that they're getting these guys, they needed to create a new revenue stream in order to monetize these guys justify paying them what they're paying them and also put them in themselves in a position where they could continue to sign big name guys to fight the big name guys that they have without an additional revenue stream. It's going to be very, very tough. If I'm spike TV, if I'm Scott Coker, I'm maybe looking at a plan B and that plan B in my mind would be to try to reach out to a network such as CBS. If you can't, 
put guys like Gegard Mousasi and Rory McDonald and Phil Davis on pay-per-view and help offset some of the costs of their, their purses through pay-per-view buys, then you've got to find something else. And maybe if you've got a sweet rights fee deal with CBS, maybe you put yourself in a position where you could get four fights a year. Maybe you're getting a rights fee of $750,000 to a million. That takes some of the pressure off. Whether or not that could happen, I don't know. I know that CBS obviously has done MMA in the past. It's been several years. I can tell you this from firsthand knowledge, having worked for Showtime and CBS in a production capacity. Kelly Call, who his his power base has only gone up in the years at CBS, and I think when it comes to primetime TV, he is the number one guy now at CBS. I can tell you for a fact, Kelly Call is a massive MMA fan. I think he probably has a good relationship with Scott Coker. Scott Coker doesn't even necessarily need to go to Kevin K or Viacom to get that meeting. But that's a meeting that needs to happen. Even if CBS says they're not necessarily interested in getting back into the MMA business, if I'm Scott Coker, if I'm Kevin K, I'm taking as many meetings as I can with Kelly Call, and I'm trying to make that pitch. I'm trying to make that sell. And if it takes you know, a campaign of a year or two to, to make it happen, I'm doing everything I can to get back on CBS and get a massive rights fee because that's the way the MMA industry is shifting. Pay-per-view is dying. It's not just dying for MMA, it's dying for boxing. Yes, I know that Floyd and Connor is gonna do, they're gonna do a big buy rate. I don't know what kind of buy rate Triple G and, and uh, Canelo are gonna do two weeks after that fight, but that's, that's you know, it's, it's, it's ironic because that's the better fight. Yeah. And I think everyone's gonna be broke when that fight comes around, they're not gonna be able to pay for it. But had that taken place six months after, Connor versus Floyd, or six months before, that would have been a big pay-per-view fight. But unless it's a massive, massive, surreal event, a big tentpole seminal fight, it's just it's not going to do well on pay-per-view. And there's very those types of fights, Connor versus Floyd, even Triple G versus Canelo, those fights are few and far between right now in combat sports. I see a lot of the ship going away from pay-per-view. And I see the shift, you know, really going towards TV rights fees, trying to get rights fees that are more in line with what the NFL, Major League Baseball, uh, NHL, NBA, what they're getting. Um, and if, even if you can't get that, you know, try to get what soccer and some of these other promotions are. You're not going to get billions of dollars per year. But if you can get hundreds of millions, then that 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 helps. And, and by the way, speaking of UFC and pay-per-view, we got a question from uh, George, one UFC fan, asking us, do we see the UFC going away from pay-per-view on their next TV deal? And how much would that deal have to be worth in order for the UFC to do so? I, I think, simply put, Sam, I don't see the UFC going away from, from pay-per-view because I just don't see a television executive out there ready to shell out five, $600 million a year to the UFC. No, they're not going to get that. But I do see the UFC moving away from it. I think with their next TV deal, I don't think they're. I don't think they're going to completely get out of the pay per view business. But I think a lot of these shows that are no longer doing the flat, like good flatline buy rate that non-descript UFC pay per view shows used to do, the shows that can no longer be sold just based on the name of the UFC itself. I think you're going to see a lot of those shows shift to Fox or whoever the next. TV partner for the UFC is, I think they're going to present a much more robust TV package and kind of trim and condense some of their pay-per-view offers. I think if Fox does not 
retain the UFC broadcast rights, that's very telling. Because they need the UFC on FS1. They do, but the Fox media empire is not doing so well these days, Jason. Who who in TV is? Yeah, but Fox is really, really getting hammered. I mean, their their new their network, their news network is down. Fox Sports One has been. How many shows have they canceled since the start of that that network? How many people have they let go? I mean, they have a website now where they don't have a single writer employed. Ken Rosenthal, one of the best insiders in Major League Baseball, he now writes for Facebook. But here, here's uh, here's what I'll say about that, Sam. What does that say about our society in terms of the way we get news that people are – I think that is a – part of that factor is that people aren't reading those articles. I'm not saying yeah, I, but, but I'm not, not saying but, I agree with what they're doing. All of your writers, yeah, I, look, all of them. I'm not saying I agree with what they did, but I think part of this equation has got to be is was the amount of money they were paying to that those writers not equaling it in the revenue that was being brought in. And, and I and I look, I think that in, and I use this in business all the time: adapt or die. And I think there is a lot of old school sports writers that have not adapted to how covering sports is done today. Yeah, but Jason, you've got a guy like Ken Rosenthal. You can't tell me that his articles don't bring in hits. I mean, the guy breaks a lot of news in baseball circles. How are you not even keeping a guy like that on the payroll? I can understand if they made reductions in staff, but to completely eliminate your writing staff, that to me says more than just a shift in content philosophy that to me says that you're trying to cut and you're trying to cut massively in a quick amount of time because you're having money issues i don't know if you saw this but mtv got rid of all the viceland writers and they're now going all video on their website it's crazy it's uh look and that's the thing i mean go go look at any article that's written whether it's a sports website news website pretty much all the articles now have a video of some sport some sort in that article but I just think Fox, you know, I don't I don't see them going to 300. I don't see them being in a position, even as bad as Fox Sports 1 needs the UFC, if the bidding gets close to 300 million, I, I, I think Fox is out. But, but here's also the thing about, to note about Fox. What's it say about where the UFC stands when the biggest pay-per-view of the year, next weekend, UFC 214, the prelims are on FXX? What's what's going to be on Fox Sports One at that time? I believe there's baseball on. Well, you know, there, there's not much you can do about it then. Yeah, but I mean, you're not even on FS Two, which I mean, and, and maybe they just think, hey, we've got more. I had to go on my Directv to see if I even had FXX, which I do. Um, but is is FXX in more homes than FS Two? I would, I would think it is. Directv so is channel two fifty nine. That's I, I I know. I mean, but it's. I and this is one thing, and I think people have to always understand this. No matter what network, especially if you're going to a sports network, the UFC is not going to be number one in the totem pole. Just not going to happen. Right, right. That, you know? that much and and I don't, I don't see ESPN as a a big player in that. Especially when you look at all the changes going on. I've heard some interesting rumors about some networks out there. You know, whether you, you know, I'm not saying I necessarily want to believe it, but. Uh, 
it'll be interesting to see if there maybe is a a player out there that we just don't think is a player that ultimately ends up being a player because I think sometimes you wonder in the media are you being fed a story to generate buzz as opposed whether there's truly any buzz there or not. Right, and you know I want to go back to something I've said in the past on the show. I mentioned that Turner Sports had been rumored at one point to be interested in the UFC when their next TV contract needed to be uh, to be negotiated. And when I said that on this show, I got a call from an interesting interesting source in the TV industry. They said you have to be careful with that stuff. And I said why? And they said that you know it's you can't put it past Ario Manual to put something like that out there in order to create a level of interest that may or may not exist in order to get closer to the dollar amount that he wants. Well, so I, I put this, I, I said this to somebody on Sunday when I, I was watching the, the UFC car, I said, when you want all this money for a UFC, you know, TV rights deal, are networks getting excited about a fight card headline by Gunnar Nelson and Santiago Ponzinibbio? Yeah, you're not, you're not helping yourself. So they've got to make sure that shows like that stay on fight pass and they're going to have to to cut down the amount of pay-per-views they're doing and offer bigger fights to their next partner or you know even if it's Fox then it's Fox but whoever whatever their next contract is they're going to have to make that TV contract more attractive they're going to have to get more than just one suitor they they're not going to be able to drive the rep, the rights fee up annually up to anywhere near close to 300 million if they have if they don't have more than one suitor I would say this in terms of fight pass. I, I am liking this contender series, which I mean, look, it's regional MMA. Call it what it is, and, and I think a lot of fans don't understand these are not UFC fights. The UFC is not the promoter of this event. The promoter of this event is Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series. He actually went in front of the commission to get a license for this. This is not UFC fights. I like it. I, Sam, the Snoop Cast is hilarious. I, I listened to the Snoop Cast. Uh, week one, it was entertainment to me. I know some people didn't like it to me. I'm looking to get entertained. I'm tuning into fights. It, it was entertaining. Uh, last night's episode, I watched the regular broadcast. Paul Felder, I tell you what, that guy potentially could be a, a little rising star for the UFC in terms of, of a color commentator. He did. I thought he did a, a really excellent job, and only one fighter got signed on last night's episode. The week before, two fighters got signed. I was actually doing an interview with Kurt Hallbott who got signed after week one. And one of the things I've said about the contender series is I think it's a blessing and a curse. You know, it's, it's a blessing for a guy like Kurt Hallbott because now he's back into the UFC. We look at a guy like Matt Bissett. It, it's a step back for Matt Bissett. Matt Bissett was right there. Probably was, you know, if there was a contender series, probably would be in the UFC. You know, he had to have a surgery on his thumb. He, he's out eight weeks. You know, now CES is doing an interim uh, featherweight title fight, so it's really a step backwards for him. Uh, you know, uh, Zhu and Walu got got a win, but the UFC has passed. But one thing I will say is my understanding is when it comes to these contracts, the UFC actually has a 30-day option to sign these fighters. So maybe he gets picked up, but I, I don't think the UFC is going to pick I, him up. I don't understand why they didn't sign Zoo. I, I know Zoo. I haven't talked to him in a couple of years, but you know, I used to train at the same some of the same places he, he's trained at. Um, you know, and I was the matchmaker for I think his amateur debut and his pro debut, so I know Zoo a little bit. I'm pretty familiar with him. I don't understand it though. I know the fight wasn't the most exciting, but you've got a heavyweight that's 13 and four, and there's not a lot of 
free agent talent at heavyweight right now. I mean, heavyweight ranks are thin across the board. So you bring a guy in who's 13-4, and four, he knocks out his opponent in the second round. Maybe the first round wasn't that exciting, but heavyweights are hard to come by. You've got a guy right there on your show. That show is designed to, to uncover, you know, hidden gems. You've got a guy there, and you don't sign him? I don't understand it. I understand that aspect, but I think that what you have seen with that show is you got to go out there and deliver exciting fights to, to ultimately get signed. And you, you look at the three fires I've gotten signed so far, they've gone out there and put on exciting fights. You know, Sean O'Malley put on an exciting fight last night. He's an exciting fighter. I don't know if he's UFC ready. You know, so that's so that's what it comes down to. Just you got, no you matter got, whether you win or lose, fighter fight. Fight an exciting fight. You got to be excited. I mean, look, you got to win, obviously, but you got to be exciting. We did get a couple of questions in relation to uh, the Tuesday Night Contender Series. One from uh, Dwayne Barr saying, "Is Pierre's a Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series is gaining momentum? Would it be advantageous for UFC to phase out tough after this season transition yes. resources towards yes. Fight Pass subscriptions?" Sam, it's not going to happen. I'm telling you, it's not going to happen. It's a it's a home run for FS1. I, I know people have a hard time understanding this. Production cost is low. It get what, what is FS1 going to put in that time slot? That's going to get that same Dana type White's of rating. series. You could put it, yeah. If you put it on FS1, you could you could transition. But if you're if you want to move tough to fight pass, tough is not leaving FS1. I, I hate to break this news to people. It's not happening. It's a it's a success for FS1. And I mean people look at it and say, oh, only four hundred, five hundred thousand people watched that. But go go look at Wednesday nights on FS1 when they don't have live sports programming on in that time slot and go look what they do. It's like a hundred thousand people. And you know yeah, they're not making advertising money off that. So that's is, that's why Tough's not going away. The format is so tired, and with each passing season, the ratings go further and further down. They're not they're not trending upward. They're not treading water. It's a steady, consistent descent, and they need a new star-making vehicle. This Tough used to be a massive franchise, a massive platform for them to create new stars, and it's not anywhere near what it once was. So maybe it's time to get creative and come up with something else. I understand that FS1, they want as much UFC programming as possible. I'm not saying cancel Tough and don't replace it with anything. I'm saying transition that creating a new star, finding a new star format into something different, something new, something fresh, such as Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. Uh, another question we got about this was uh, from at Joe Daddy 85 saying, are the guys fighting on Tuesdays for Dana? Another example of guys lowering the standards for pay in MMA. This is why I say no, Sam. Go find me on the regional scene. What promoter is paying five thousand to win five thousand a show? Yeah, it's, it's a good, it's a solid payday, and it's like you said, Jason, at the outset, they're not fighting for the UFC; they're fighting for Dana White's promotion. And, and, Dana and, White's this is a, this is Dana White's side promotion, your side piece. And you know? the, yeah, at the end of the day, go find me a fighter. Take out Kurt Hallbaugh, who's fought in the UFC. Take out any fighter that has appeared on this Contender Series that's already fought in the UFC. So Kurt. Joey Sanchez, someone's a, a call, uh, Daniel Spawn. So take those guys out of it. There is no one on that contender series that has made anywhere near that kind of money for one fight. It's like being in an NFL training camp in a way. Even if you don't get signed by the team that you're 
you know, playing for in the preseason, you're still getting exposure, you're still getting on film. Other teams have the ability to sign you. So a guy like Zoo, let's say he doesn't get signed by the UFC in the next 30 days. Bellator, which doesn't have the deepest heavyweight division either, they can go out and make a pretty solid offer if they want. So this exactly, is you're not only yeah. trying out for the UFC, you're trying out for the Professional Fighters League, you're trying out for Bellator. You're getting a lot of exposure, a lot more exposure than you normally would on a traditional regional fight card. And if the UFC passes on you, you've got the ability to go fight for another another big national promotion or you can go back to your regional promotion and potentially command more money. And hell, Charles Bird, who won on the first episode, he actually had a, a short uh, a replacement opponent, ends up winning by submission. He's being brought back like in six weeks from now to fight again, so he's potentially going to make twenty thousand dollars in two months of fighting. So that's not bad. <laughs> I mean, think about like if he wins, like like I'm going to a regional show on Friday night um, because I, I've. I think as reporters, we need to go. Now, look, and I'm, I'm going to RFC, Joe Valdez as a promoter. I don't call Joe Valdez and ask for free tickets. I, I sit there, go on Ticketmaster, and, and I pay for the ticket. I enjoy it, Sam, because I'm going to Uber it down there. You get the reserved seat. You get your own waitress. So I don't even have to get up to get a drink. It's so, great. That's very nice. Very nice. <laughs> that gives you, like, it's, you know... And, uh, you know, look, it's a lot of baby pros that are on the card. Um, Michael Coro is actually on the, the Contender Series. He's fought in RFC before. I just, I don't know about you when you go to regional shows. I'm very observant about things going on around me. I just love to listen to what fans talk about and chant. <laughs> well, I mean, the shows that I've gone to around here, it's you're, it's all fighter family. Yeah, yeah. yeah everyone's, everyone's friend 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 or family of a fighter. So. Yeah, that's I mean, that's regional MMA. I mean, you, yeah. you, you're a ticket seller. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to go to it. I, I always kind of wonder, I wonder how many MMA reporters go to regional shows frequently where they're not working, where they're just going to enjoy fights. That's a good question. I, and I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, get a couple other quick questions in here. Uh, this question is from Dwayne Barth. It's related to what happened last Friday night with uh, Brandon Gertz. I ask a question for you. If you are aware if physicians give uh, deference to Cutman in allowing a fighter to continue with bad facial injuries based upon his or her experience, he says, for example, Stitch Durant. I've never, and I've been close to the fights. I mean, I used to sit right outside the cage, and I could hear a lot of stuff that you might not necessarily hear if you're in the crowd or watching on TV. I never heard a referee defer to a cut man. I'm not saying it's never happened. I'm just saying I never witnessed it. I have seen the referee, you know, rely heavily on the doctor, uh, but I've never seen them rely on a cut man. Because you understand the cut man, even if they don't work for the fighter, you know, in Bellator, you know, Dean Lasseter and Matt Marsden did not work for the fighters, but they were very loyal to their corners. Um, they almost became, you know, a part of that fighter's team. They weren't allowed to openly root for the fighter, but you work with that guy, and if the fighter keeps requesting you, you do form a bond. The last thing that you want to do is interject yourself and take a fighter out of a fight. That's what the referee's there for. That's what the doctor is there for. So I don't think you're going to see, you know, a cut man doesn't want to be asked that question. What they want to do is focus on saving the fight, not ending the fight. They want to do everything they can to stop the bleeding and get that fighter out there. Uh, next up from uh, Big Bad Bogan, he says, any further news on the UFC antitrust lawsuit and is letting free agents walk to Bellator a strategy to prove 
the UFC is no monopoly. Uh, I know uh, John Nash and Paul Giff had some reporting. There's some depositions that are going on right now. Dana White, Andrew Simon. Uh, after those depositions, it's going to be basically decided whether Mark Cuban uh, will be deposed for that. Uh, we were actually going back and forth on this, and one of my thought processes. I wonder if the UFC is letting Bellator overpay for talent in a way to try to bankrupt them. Well, we, we had a nice little conversation about that uh, via DM. And on that ultimately was the downfall of Affliction. That was ultimately the reason why Strike Force got sold. They took on too many big contracts and there was more money going out than there was money coming in. And eventually, you can only do that for so long. Eventually, someone upstairs says, uh, you know, I'm out of the money-losing business. This has to end. Another point I do want to make, so by letting these guys walk, it doesn't impact the loss, the current lawsuit. Maybe it could change and prevent a future class action lawsuit. But what has happened after the lawsuit and the time period that's being cited in the lawsuit itself what has gone on and transpired after it, that does not get interjected into the lawsuit itself. It's present time is not present time. It's the future as far as the lawsuit itself is concerned. Again, it could help out if someone was preparing another lawsuit on the heels of this for the future, but otherwise it doesn't have any bearing on the existing lawsuit. But you do make a good point, Jason. I know for a fact that you know, having worked with Bjorn Redney, you know, one thing that he always mentioned to me, his biggest fear was, you know, we don't want to become the next affliction because there are certain guys that became available. We would negotiate with them. They were the bigger names that a lot of the fan base wanted us to go out and bring in. And I would negotiate with them. Bjorn would negotiate with them. And with certain guys, the price would get to be very, very high. Sergei Karatanov was one of them. And in a lot of these situations, I would go to Bjorn, hey, look, financially, maybe it doesn't make the most sense, but this guy will get us a lot of attention. It's a big name. It'll help us create a lot of stars. Why don't we do it as a loss leader? And Bjorn was very fiscally responsible. And he always said to me, Sam, we don't want to be the next Affliction. Look what happened to Affliction. And his point was, yes, Affliction signed a lot of big names. Everybody got excited about them. But how many shows did Affliction do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was his point. We could go out and spend, you know, above our means and live above our means and create a roster that maybe got, you know, some more people excited. But having people write great things about you on the Internet doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be able to to run a long lasting MMA promotion. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to see what what kind of happens there. Uh, One last question. We got Joe Daddy 85 asked with uh, the way Dana drama has slammed his champions, Nunez, Demetrius Johnson, others. Can you see a scenario where Dana is fired? I don't necessarily see a scenario where Dana gets fired, honestly, Sam. I don't. Dana White is a brand. A lot of people that are in the entertainment industry respect that brand. Ari Ari Emanuel definitely respects that brand. That's why they made sure that Dana White had a contract and was going to remain part of the UFC after the Fertitas sold. I mean, that was a big selling point. Dana White was seen as an asset by WMEIMG. He was not seen as a liability. They were excited to work with him. They are excited to work with him. He's a very visible guy, gets a lot of attention. He's doing exactly what Ari Emanuel wants. He did exactly what the Fertitas wanted. That is to be a lightning rod for controversy, create a lot of talk, get people talking about the product. It's something that other promotions could use. And I'm, I'm going to say it right here, Bellator. They could use Scott Coker 
maybe being more of a focal point, maybe getting out there, getting some more attention, mm -hmm. calling more attention to the product. They could use that right about now, especially if the pay-per-view number that we're hearing, uh, if that is even close to being accurate, they need to change some things. They need Scott to be a more out front promoter. That's not necessarily his style. He has more of the, the Showtime, Steven Espinosa style, where he would prefer to remain back, uh, remain in the background, let the fighter be in the forefront. But in certain cases, they could really use him to step up, especially on these smaller shows. There's a lot of people in the media that want to talk to him. He doesn't do a lot of interviews, and maybe I think it would help if he did a few more. Uh, I definitely agree with you. By the way, let's end on this note. Uh, speaking of Dana White, were you like me and caught off guard by Joe Rogan's comments about Dana White and CTE? Yes, yes. And, you know, understanding Joe Rogan in the context, they weren't said in a mean, negative fashion. He was just being honest and open and talking about the dangers that fighters, whether they're MMA fighters or boxers at any level, no matter how far they advance, that there's a real serious risk and a, 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 you know, a serious damage. I think he was coming out of a place of concern and caring for fighters and combat sports athletes. That being said, I can tell you that having been around fighters for a long period of time, they do not, even if they're having issues, they do not want anyone knowing about it for various reasons, primarily financially and just the way that they're perceived by people. They do not, if there's an issue, if they are suffering from CTE or early onset dementia, they do not want that stigma attached to them because it could change how they do business with people in their lives. And if you're Dana White, regardless of what place Dana, Joe Rogan's coming from, whether it's true or not, you know, you don't want that out there. You don't even want the CTE associated with, uh, with your name. So I'm sure that if Dana White got, you know, became aware of those comments, I'm sure he picked up the phone and called Joe Rogan and said, Hey dude, what the hell? Yeah, I just I was kind of baffled when I saw that on uh, on MMA I, fighting. I just I was for baffled. him for him to even go down that road. I don't think Joe Rogan is, is planning on staying with the UFC for much longer. For him to even make an association between Dana White and CTE, for him to even talk about that, that's uh, that's some heavy stuff. I, I don't think he he is planning on staying with the UFC for much longer. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think so either. And I think that, Brian Stan, I think they're grooming Brian Stan for that role. Yeah, Brian Sand, he's he's an incredible broadcaster. Dominic Cruz, you know, I'll say this. Uh, one thing I like about Michael Bisbing on those FS1 broadcasts, he is brutally honest, and I love yeah. it. Yeah. As a uh, radio, as a, you know, podcast personality, or I guess I guess Sirius is not a podcast, but as a radio personality and a media personality, this thing's pretty strong. Oh, I don't know if you saw, he took a dig at Karen Bryan on the broadcast on Sunday. He did. Ooh. I was shocked about that as well. Ooh. I was like, I saw it after the fact. I was like, oh my. And I know, I know Karen Bryant. She's a nice lady. I, I'm surprised that uh, this thing went down that road. She's a, she's a very nice person. Yeah, it makes you wonder maybe if she's taking a dig at him maybe off camera and he's and he was just waiting for the right moment to take a dig back at her. I don't know. But I, when I saw yeah. that video, I was like, oh my, oh my. Yeah. But yeah. 
Uh, of course, uh, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Insiders Podcast. Uh, don't forget, coming up on Friday, I will have a preview podcast on RadioInfluence.com. Preview UFC on Fox 25. Also, uh, this week's MMA Report podcast is now out. I was joined by Kenny Florian to talk about the jiu-jitsu promotion that he is now involved with. That's going to debut later on this year. Also talk to UFC on Fox 25 fighters Marlon Vera, Kyle Bokniak. And Eric Anders, plus talk to uh, Ryan Stoddard. Sam, this is, I'll leave this here. Ryan Stoddard, one of the things he told me, he said, you'd be surprised how many fighters fight for us for the first time and don't know we have a square uh, cage. Interesting. Yeah, I I thought, I would think that would probably be something that you'd figure out going into the fight. And uh, he says, oh, yeah, yeah I'm, he fighting, goes, I'm fighting for I'm fighting for the promotion that has a square cage. Yeah, yeah. He, and he said there's times where uh, and he actually he talked about I think he said it was Yuri Villefort uh, when he came in. He told me, oh, man, I love this square cage because obviously you can kind of corner off a guy if you, you, yeah. you do yeah. it right. Can't do that in a circle cage. So. No, no. But uh, of course, check that out. Of course, you can always uh, subscribe to this podcast. On Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Stitcher Tuner Radio, and Google Play. Going to let you know, probably about another week or so, I'm going to do a show with Mike Russell. Going to have him talk about his Tim Hague investigation, uh, everything that has gone on with that. Uh, that's a very much a developing story. I know Mike is uh, working on some other stories as well. So, going to do a show with Mike. Look forward to talk to him. Sam, as always, appreciate the time, and we'll talk soon, man. See you then. Follow Jason Floyd and Sam Kaplan on Twitter. Find them at Jason underscore Floyd and at Sam Kaplan MMA. This is the MMA Insiders Podcast on Radio Influence. This is an Ian Beckles flavor in your ear quick fix on Radio Influence. I've never seen a press conference tour ever. Like, I don't, I've never heard of that before. And to be packing arenas just to hear guys talk shit is amazing to me. And I'm going to watch every one of them. And if I'm not there to watch it, I'm going to videotape it. Because, what's his name? Uh, Conor McGregor came out and said something in the first press conference. And uh, I heard Drew Garabo on 1025 The Bone discussing this yesterday. First of all, if you've watched Conor McGregor throughout his fights, he's, he openly says racist stuff, okay? He ain't hiding it. When you're calling a, a, a Mexican guy Papi Chulo, eh, it's a line. There's a line. And there's been many other situations, okay? And Mayweather went up there and Conor McGregor said, dance for me, boy. Okay. As an African-American or as a black man, if somebody says, dance for me, boy, before the Y comes out, I'm punching you in the face, okay? Because... They had a big debate on Drew Garabo's show whether that was okay or not okay. And they had, from what I heard when I was listening in the car, there was about seven people call in, Caucasian people, that said, it's okay. As a black man, I'm telling you guys, it's not okay, all right? It's not okay to call a black man boy. It's just not, okay? You guys, you can't make up rules. It's not. You can try it. Don't try it with me. You can try it with somebody. You can go through, you know, you can do some investigative journalism if you want and go call a black man boy and see how it turns out. If they don't turn on you, I don't know, but you, you might catch a, a fistful of and a faceful of something. So Conor McGregor and, and a lot of the different excuses were, well, he's Irish. They call a lot of people boy. The tone wasn't right. I'm telling you, I listen to the tone. I know the tone and the tone 
definitely wasn't right. You can find Ian Beckles Flavor in Your Ear on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and RadioInfluence.com. 